0: It's the late 60s, and it's movie day at the United States Supreme Court. So what are we watching? Oh, welcome to American Esoterica. If History Class gives you the picnic, this is the parade of ants on your banana cream pie. The essential stuff in between, the personalities, events, and other ephemera that shape our history and culture. I'm Brian Powers. A note, this episode will acknowledge the existence of dirty movies, which should be hilarious to those above a certain age. But if you don't know what those are, maybe give this episode a few years. Both technology and culture tend to throw our systems for a loop as they generally advance at a much faster pace than our law. The First Amendment was already an interesting and sometimes difficult concept to decipher, but then our culture figured out that sex sells, especially in book form. As if that wasn't enough, along came new advances in technology that gave us moving pictures with sight and sound And then, all of a sudden, we had a particularly burning need to understand how much of these new movies were protected content under our much vaunted freedom of speech. To put it much less delicately, someone had to decide if pornography is protected under the Constitution. Into this quagmire step our heroes, those nine elderly guys here to resolve this question on behalf of a grateful nation. And this is the story of just how badly they botched it The backdrop of this isn't particularly important. Just know that various jurisdictions had outlawed dirty books, magazines, and movies, and that various people had been charged with crimes for distributing said materials. The question of the First Amendment eventually popped up, leading to the issue being thrust on the United States Supreme Court, which was not ready to take it. What was clear to the court was that there was a difference between protected expression and obscenity. One received First Amendment protection while the other did not. The question then was this, what is considered obscenity? This is the question that caused the court some performance issues. Multiple obscenity cases came before the court, but nobody could really agree on a test to determine where the line was they thought they nailed it down with the first real case to attempt it, Roth v. United States in 1957. But by 1964, they still couldn't figure out what it was, producing an opinion in the case Jacobellus v. Ohio that scraped together four separate opinions in which no more than two justices could agree. The most famous opinion was Justice Potter Stewart's concurrence, in which he suggested that the only thing he felt was not protected by the First Amendment was hardcore pornography, and that, quote, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within that shorthand description, and perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so, but I know it when I see it. Another attempt came and again failed in 1966, and in 1967, the court once again found itself hard, pressed, to define obscenity in the case of Redrup v. New York. It whiffed yet again. The majority opinion once again fractured among and between multiple tests, with no single test gaining enough support to be crowned the winner. At this point, the court threw up its hands and realized that maybe Stewart, was on to something in Jacob Ellis. It was the late 60s, smut was popping up everywhere, and the court had to act fast. And they did, in the weirdest, most, it's the 60s, so why not, man, way possible. They made the I know it when I see it test the rule of the day. It worked like this. The United States Supreme Court essentially acted as a court of first impression in all obscenity cases in the country. Need to know if something is obscene? Send it to the Supreme Court. The idea was that they would literally vote on whether the specific material in question was obscene or otherwise protected expression based on individual review. The reality of this is that on movie day, several justices of the United States Supreme Court and their clerks would head to a conference room in the Supreme Court building with popcorn and watch pornographic movies. A couple justices refused to attend as they were on record as suggesting there could be no banned content, so it didn't make any difference. One of them, Justice Black, commented, if I want to go see that film, I should pay my money. Justice Harlan had poor eyesight So not only did he sit very close to the screen, but he also often had to have someone else sit next to him and describe the action. One can only handle so much pornography, however, and by 1973, order was restored in the case of Miller v. California, where the Supreme Court finally, blessedly, figured out a test that could get everyone on the court on board and away from the scourge of having to watch porn at work. So tonight, remember that not all heroes wear capes. Some wear robes. And that from about 1967 until 1973, there were a handful of vigilant guardians who protected our nations from the evils of obscenity by watching all of it. This has been American Esoterica. All sounds were made by me, Brian Powers. Did I get it wrong? Did I get it right? Need a sounding board for your Battlestar Galactica fan fiction? Drop me a note. The address is yell at AmericanEsoterica.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless America.